Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. Follow your gut. There is going to be people that mean well, and I call that white noise. And you have to stick to your gut and forge your path. It is so important. Stress is the inflammation that robs us of life, energy, and happiness. Our typical solutions for gut health and hormone balance have let a lot of us down. We're over-medicated and underserved. At The Less Stressed Life, we're a community of health-savvy women exploring solutions outside of our traditional Western medicine toolbox and training to raise the bar and change our stories. Each week, our hope is that you leave our sessions inspired to learn, grow, and share these stories to raise the bar in your life and home. All right. Today we have Vicki Zarkin, who was diagnosed with cancer in 2011, which feels like not that long ago for some people. (laughs) And she's been living with stage four metastatic cancer for over 10 years and is the only person in the world alive with this aggressive illness that we know of. Right. And we can talk about that. So she was diagnosed in her forties when her doctor first told her to go home and get her affairs in order. And at the time she had two small children. She spent the next several years fighting for her life, advocating for herself, navigating through the healthcare world and following her guts. Today, Vicky's a beacon of hope for others. She's a motivational speaker and coach on a national level and a successful author. And I was just talking to her offline. We don't always get a happy story with cancer and Vicky's kind of premise, I think, is spreading a lot of hope. And today we're going to get that inside view of living with cancer and that beautiful message that you don't have to settle and all of those things. So welcome to the show, Vicki. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hello, everybody. Yeah. So I was reading your website today in preparation, kind of pulling some questions together. And sure. uh, you're right. How you were diagnosed with cancer. There was a little bit of drama in the office that day. <laughs> will you tell Will you tell us about like that fateful day in 2011 yeah. and how that started, please? Yeah. We knew I had cancer right off the bat. And so they walked me up to, off to uh, Johns Hopkins, which is about a, just to give you an idea, about a two hour drive for me up and back. And they started testing me and testing me and testing me. So after two months of tests now, mind you, and exhaustion going back and forth, they put me into this little operatory and say, okay, 
Now we've got the best oncologist in all of Johns Hopkins. He's gone over all your tests and we are going to be able to tell you what we can do for you today. So, you know, we're like, finally. So it's my mother and my husband to my left and the room was small and the doctor starts talking and talking, no eye contact. And he's telling me how... He has consulted all the best specialists in the hospital, and they've come to an agreement that he's sorry, there's nothing he can do for me, and I need to go home and get my affairs in order, as you said. And something inside of me snapped, something unlike what my natural personality would be. I mean, it snapped. Mom and Jerry were crying, and a switch went off in me, and I flew across the room and grabbed the doctor by the neck. And I pulled him in really close and made him look in my eyes. And I said, you talk about all these doctors that you consulted with, but you didn't consult me. What about what I want? What about what I think? And then I went on to say, I don't care what you cut off me. I don't care what you do to me. I'm going to be the one. I'm going to make it. And, you know, I was just furious. Who is he to tell me, go home and get my affairs in order? I'm a mother of two small children. So then, of course, I backed off when I was starting to settle into, oh, my God, I put my hands around somebody and waiting for security to be called. So the room got really quiet. (laughs) And uh, it seemed like a long time, but it wasn't a very long time. And finally, he looked up at me for the first time and he said, Okay, how about we try chemotherapy treatment? I'm not promising anything, and we'll see how it goes after that. Is that okay with you? And I said, okay, okay. But the bottom line is, I was in a real pickle. And it was just sinking in at that moment. I really knew nothing about cancer. You know how everybody says cancers touched so many people's lives. And of course, over the years and my struggles and so forth, I've seen that. But up until that point, cancer hadn't touched me at all. There was no cancer at all in my family. I was it. So I really had to hit the ground running and start to figure out how I'm going to help myself. Because he obviously thinks I'm a lost cause. Whether I made true strides that day, I looked at it like I bought myself some time. Now I got to get to work. And work I did. I mean, I did research and research and research. And, you know, and while I'm doing this, uh, mind you, I'm fighting with insurance companies to get the medications that I need. You know, you've got all these outside forces and you're exhausted. And then you come home and you still have these two small children to bathe and love and take care of. And you don't want to miss a minute of that. You don't want this disease to waste a minute of that. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. And so I was busy, but I took that opening and got that chemo And I did, and I found a doctor to do a special type of radiation for me where we were able to save most of my heart because I had cancer in the left ventricle of my heart. 
my left lung, all through my chest wall, my esophagus. It was in my mammary glands, all wrapped around my breast. I had like 30 lymph nodes. He had a right to say that I should probably go home and get my affairs in order. I just wasn't having it. And I didn't believe it. And I didn't believe it for a minute. And I never believed it. And I just went into tunnel vision. I didn't see right. I didn't see left. I just fought like hell. I have a thousand questions (laughs) from that. So I want to get to fighting insurance because again, you're an insider. So there's like, wow. And also one of my questions was, where was the cancer? And it was everywhere. And you also said at the very beginning, we knew I had cancer. So I'd love to know how you knew that you had cancer. What were some of the signs? Because you don't just like wake up one day and you have cancer everywhere. And so what was going on with you before it was getting significant, right? Like what were some of the warning signs? Such a good question. And this is sort of a way to paint the picture. Early in my 20s, I had a little scare. It was a benign little lump, not a big deal. But because of that, that I had that in my early 20s, I was getting mammograms all my life. So I wasn't somebody that wasn't on top of these things. So literally, I had had a mammogram and I was a little on the late side, but I had a mammogram a year and a half before. And so that means I was a hundred percent clean a year and a half ago. Then I go and get a mammogram and it is everywhere. I'm immediately stage four. This is how highly aggressive the form of cancer that I have. That's why the doctor was like, you know, there's just no way because even if we treat the cancer, you're going to die of congestive heart failure. Mm. Because, you know, it was, I I mean, I was just riddled in it. And I just never believed from the beginning, never. So that was kind of, you can see how fast it became. But how I found out was I had that mammogram. My doctor called me on the phone and said, you've got breast cancer. We just don't know how bad it is. I suggest you go to Johns Hopkins and get a biopsy. Because at that point, I hadn't even had a biopsy. But they already knew it was it was cancer. So he just said right out on the phone, you got this girl. Well, how did you feel? And also about that, do you have thoughts? I'm sure you've had a lot of time to think about this. Do you have thoughts about having a clear mammogram and 18 months later it being everywhere? And maybe it's just an opinion or a hypothesis, or maybe it doesn't matter, but it's dramatic, right? So, I mean, we all like to think like, I know that's a little past focus, which is probably not where you live at all, but like, do you ever think where, how did that happen? Because if something happens, we don't want it to happen again, right? Right, <laughs> um, because I have children and so right. forth. Of course, we've gone down a couple avenues, but they're all guesswork. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it's not in my family. Mm-hmm. So we can't really be sure. I don't have the BRCA gene. I've been tested for everything. My mother was tested. You know, we both went through tests. I've been in study after study. I'm in so many medical journals at Johns Hopkins, you can't believe. And I couldn't say for sure. Okay. So how were you feeling before leading up to this? Were you feeling blah? Were you feeling, did you have any warning signs? Well, it's interesting because... The reason why my mammogram was that half year late, because usually I was you know, pretty timely every year on the dot, was because I was having horrible headaches. Mm. And so for the eight months prior to be my being diagnosed with this, 
we were trying to get to the bottom of these debilitating headaches. And what we found was that I was diagnosed with something called giant cell arteritis or temporal arteritis. It's usually something that you find in 80-year-olds, not a 40-year-old. So that's why it took them so long to diagnose this because they're like, there's no way this girl has this. But what it is, is it's the pressure on the artery right here on the uh, left on the left side. And if it were to burst, I would stroke and die. So mm-hmm. it was a serious condition. So once we started putting me on millions and millions of steroids and all these other horrible medicines, I thought, you know what, let me get caught up on the other stuff because if like I've got this going on, who knows what else? So I, to this day, feel that the two were related. Mm-hmm. Doctors say no, but there is no one like me. So doctors can't say no to me Mm -hmm. because they have no comparisons. Mm -hmm. So I just journal, journal, journal. And most of the time I figure out how to help myself and then share my findings with the doctors so that we can treat whatever symptom I have because I'm still on chemo. I'm on a maintenance chemo. So when I was through with all my hard chemo and all my hard radiation, and I was still alive, they put me on a maintenance chemo. I've been on that maintenance chemo for 10 years. Mm. And that does its own damage. Yeah, for sure. You said something, you said multiple things. I was just going to point out that, you know, they thought you had this, there's no way this girl has this because 80 year olds have it and she's 40. You know, I mm-hmm. hear that and see that same scenario so much now. Like, oh, yeah. this is an older person thing. So anyway, right. that is what it is. But right. we just don't want to dismiss things regardless. No, you're 100% right. I mean, you don't leave a stone unturned. Don't, you know, you know, look at the diagnosis and forget what the analysis is. You know, you have to look at the person. You know, I started a foundation to help with things like this called, get this, Lunge for Healthcare. Oh yeah, I saw that. We, <laughs> we'll have play to talk on about that. But you know, my foundation is specifically set up so that doctors listen more, diagnose second, and that we can help women tap into their own health. So that stuff like this and what you're talking about will happen less and less. And the more wonderful people like you invite people like me onto your show to speak about it, hopefully less and less of this will occur and we can educate doctors. Yeah. There's always opportunity. So another thing you said that I wanted to point out was your own awareness through journaling. And I would say, because you're able, it's really impossible for people to get a full landscape of what's going on with you in 15, 20 minutes, half hour. And so when you're able to do your own journaling, find connections, and then put that into bullet points and present that you just shortcutted like an insane amount of time. Like you saved yourself appointments after appointment. You literally catapulted ahead of everyone else that they saw that day. Not lying. Like you literally had to, or I would die. I was going to die. You know, I mean, my life was on the line and you know, some of the journaling that I've done took and takes an enormous amount of patience. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have an issue going on with me now that I've been journaling for a year to try to figure out where things cross and so forth. You have to be tenacious about that. And you have 
to be your own advocate. You yeah. must. No one was going to do that for you, right? No, no. one was going to put those pieces together. If you no. don't put them together, no one else is going to do it for you. You're, no. I like this analogy that you're the captain of your healthcare team, technically. Right? I have like, to read. You know, I no. still argue with my oncologist today. He says, this medication does not, and he's insistent, it does not do this, this, and this. And I said, oh, yes, it does. And he said, you don't have my education, my background, you know, getting all the high horse and my information to understand. I have all these patients on this medication and doesn't do it to them. I said, well, either they're not telling you, you're not listening, but that's not my problem. I have journals to show you that this is happening to me. And so you must concede at least that this medication does it for Vicky Zarkin. Right. Yeah. You want to say have... it does it for anyone else? Fine. Yeah. But it's right. doing it to me. There's common and then there's exceptions, right? So yeah. <laughs> I want to like, I don't know if this is a quick thing, but you've already mentioned you did chemo, you did hard chemo, you did maintenance chemo. I want to hear a little bit about your cancer treatment overall. Sounds like mm-hmm. you did those treatments. And then what else did you do? What else was part of your treatment pie for yourself? I think we want to understand when you're the one person with this cancer and how right. do we, I know you've been told that and how do you know it officially? Yeah. Right. Because I mean, all the doctors tell me that. And so I try to say, this is what I'm told. I don't know that there's somebody out there. You know, I wish they'd get a hold of me because I fight every day so that more women can stand shoulder to shoulder with me. So I don't want to be the only one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just, as far as I know, am, and I have to look out for me. But in terms of cancer treatment, so I did get him to agree to do this hard chemo. And then I was doing my research and so forth. When I found a doctor that was willing to do a different type of radiation for me. And in order to do that, it was not easy because I had to fight with Johns Hopkins to release me and then to go back. That was a whole issue. And then in order for me to be able to receive this type of radiation, I had to have a 98% reaction to the chemotherapy treatment. And then from there, I had to have a very, very radical double mastectomy. I have like no chest wall left at all. I'm constantly in pain in my chest. And I had to remain flat without expanders so that I could be a candidate to try the proton therapy treatment versus the photon. And I can explain to you what the difference is, if you'd like. By all means. Photon radiation. Now, see, bear in mind, this was, you know, 12 years ago. So proton radiation is a lot more well-known today. But 12 years ago, it was not. Proton radiation is normally, it's a pinpoint radiation. So it's done for brain tumors. And might I add, prostate cancer, you know, because the guys get it all. Mm -hmm. But the photon radiation is a big blast of radiation that goes in one and out the back. And if I had had photon radiation, my heart and lungs would have been destroyed by it. Mm -hmm. And whether I would survive the cancer or not, there was no way I'd survive that. That's why I said I would have congestive heart failure. 
So by getting the proton radiation, which I don't know if anyone's done it like me ever since then, because it's you have to map such a large area. And again, it's a pinpoint radiation, but it's not experimental. It's been around for quite some time. I'm just using it a little differently. But, you know, I had to fight with the insurance companies a really, really long time saying it was experimental. And it's really not. It just wasn't used in the way we were using it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, brain cancer, breast cancer, come on, we all want to live. Let's Mm -hmm. use all the tools at our disposal. I mean, why not? I had a doctor willing to try, you know, and it was hard. I was the only adult patient there. It was all children with brain tumors. You have to be lifted so high in the air and on such a small table for the procedure that they all had to be put to sleep. And I was the only adult that, you know, didn't have, you know, was able to stay still on my own and and so forth. So, I mean, the machine would shut down. I mean, I was getting, I would call me, I'd get treatment at two in the morning. I'd get treatment at three in the afternoon. I would get it at 12 o'clock at night, four in the morning. I I mean, it was. You basically had to live there. Oh, I lived there for four months. But you couldn't plan your day. You just never knew when you were going to be treated because all those kids needed to go first Mm -hmm. because of having to put them to sleep and so forth. So, you know, I just was willing to go whenever you told me to be there. I didn't care. I just want to live. Who cares? Mm -hmm. You know, I was just so lucky to have such an amazing support system. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, who's going to get up at four in the morning one day and three o'clock in the afternoon, the other, and, you know, drive you there and, and so forth. And, you know, my doctor said, and this is something that's always stuck with me. He said, my patient's that do the best are the ones that have somebody waiting for them in that waiting room. Mm. And I always had somebody waiting in the waiting room for me. Mm. I just needed to like soak that one in for a moment. It was really nice because I don't want to switch from that to talking about insurance. I'm actually like making a list here of we'll talk about this before the end on what was vital to your overall success. But I do need to go back and talk about this Mm -hmm. insurance fighting thing. Tell me a little bit. Well, actually, I know what your background is because I think your husband may be a dentist. dentist, So then you would run the front office. So you had some knowledge about fighting with insurance companies, maybe. I had some knowledge, but let me tell you, dental insurance and medical insurance are two totally different beasts, Mm -hmm. totally different beasts. So, I mean, my knowledge really wasn't as great as you might think. Mm-hmm. The two are run totally different. They're managed totally different. So it's very, very different. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had to learn a lot. And back then things were different, you know, and I submitted for this and submitted and submitted and I was denied five times. And it was like a week before I had to leave for Indiana for my treatment. And, you know, the treatment they're saying is going to be about half a million dollars. And my parents who hadn't spoken in 20 years now are getting together and putting their houses up on the market for me. And I can't tell you how hard that is to know that you're the person that's bankrupting your whole family and everything that they worked for all their lives. And I just wouldn't give up. I was tired. I didn't feel good, but I didn't give up. And I just wouldn't accept no. And I came up with this really crazy idea. 
and it's in my book. Yeah, I am the one. And what I did was, you know, there's always a woman behind every powerful man. I think that all the time. <laughs> and the woman runs the show. And so I just, out of desperation, got the name, found out, and that wasn't easy because in those days, they don't have to record their names like they do today of the head of the medical department of the insurance company. And I sent flowers to his secretary along with a letter saying, please, I ask you five minutes of your time, please call me, please. And she called me and I told her my story and I explained why it wasn't experimental. And I got to share with her my whole story and what was going on and how many times I've been denied by the insurance company and that I was leaving and so forth. And a day later, it was covered. I got the letter. A day later, she went, she went and talked to that medical director and they covered it. That is such an amazing story. I that don't might be think my favorite insurance so companies would like to like it that I tell that story, but but we all it. need some we all need some positive vibes. And also, yeah. what you just illustrated is that there's humans <laughs> behind yeah. that robot. Yeah. You know, yes, um, yeah, because you you know you know you did put in the effort. I'm sure you lost years of your life on the yeah. on the waiting line on the yeah. phone. Um, just a guess. Oh. I. I would yeah. struggle with that probably more than everything else. And and so I'm hearing you say, you live on the East Coast. You had to go to Indiana for this treatment. Yes. Okay. Yes. So we had to get an apartment. God bless my mom. She paid for that apartment. Mm. And it, it just turned out, you know, the way the timing was that it was summer. And so my father and husband drove out, met us out there with the kids. The kids stayed with us most of the time we were there. My husband came back and forth because of work. And, you know, those kids shared a room for the first time, you know, and had a ball. We put them in, you know, a little YMCA camp and we all celebrated in all their activities and all the things that they were doing. And Indiana wasn't a scary place for any of us. Mm -hmm. It was a fun, fun memory. It just so happened I was sick. Yeah, you, you had know, a lot of joy during that time. I had a lot of joy watching those kids enjoy life and spending that time with my mother. I wrote in my book that I think every adult female should spend that kind of time, like take three weeks or something like a good chunk of time and just spend it with your mother. Because mm -hmm. as an adult to an adult, the relationship evolved so differently, mm -hmm. you know, because I was always the kid. And here we were sharing a living space and everything for the first time, just the two of us. And it was amazing. Is your mom she, still alive? Thank God. My mother is still with me and she still drives me to chemo. She is 82 years old and she drives like Mario Andretti. <laughs> 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 she sounds, I feel that I hear where some of the persistence comes from a little bit oh, where yeah. it gets inspired. So um, yes. anything else that we should understand about the healing journey retrospectively, I hear things. So when I'm making, I'm compiling a 
a list of things that were vital to your success. And I've got down support system and persistence. Yeah, support system is big. Laughter is big. I mean, you know, I'll show you if you'd like, if it's not too, this is my book. Mm -hmm. I am the one. And the small print is how a lunge across the room launched a woman's fight against cancer. And this book is not a sad book. I mean, you would not believe the antics my mother and I got up to. I mean, some of the funniest, funniest stories are in this book. And also the struggles, you know, hospitals let me down, insurance companies let me down, doctors let me down, had to fight through all that. You know, I'll be honest with you today, I still fight insurance companies. I still fight doctors. My fight is not over. I fight every day. It's very difficult to be me. I liken it to, I get up in the morning, I run up that hill, nighttime comes, I go to sleep, I get up in the morning and I start running up that hill again. It never ends for me. Well, I hear, you know, I think if you get a diagnosis that's you staring down death in a way, that there's mm-hmm. a certain amount of stress that comes from the diagnosis. There's mm-hmm. you already shared about some of the financial stress and navigating that. I mean, mm-hmm. in the creative way mm-hmm. you navigated that. And I think that you mentioned this in different capacity, but you know, you were busy and in a different kind of way fighting for your life. And I'm just curious your thoughts on the pressure of stress. For me and my work clinically, I find that stress tends to keep us struggling or not progressing or not healing in the way we are. But laughter is the opposite of stress. It's like an antidote for it, to be honest. It seems simple, but it's really, it's so powerful. I'll never forget this when I was working once upon a time, many, many years ago, probably about the time you were going through chemotherapy at the beginning. I remember working in dialysis and a man telling me that his wife had survived cancer because of her attitude. And I just, it never left me. And I feel that way about so many things now. So I'm just kind of curious about your, how, and I look at what you're doing now and you're an ambitious woman, right? You're, you've written a book, you're doing speaking, you still have cancer, you're on maintenance chemotherapy. Tell and me I about your course. Yeah. I mean, tell me about, tell me about the impact of stress overall and just how you have mitigated that. So it's not a barrier for your success. Well, you know, there's always stress, but you know, when you have the love of your family and wonderful kids to see grow and progress, and now they're flying, how can you miss those things? Everything hurts all day long. If I spent all day complaining about the, all the hurts and the stresses and the aggravations that I have, the day would be gone. And that's not living. I fought to live so that I could live. And binding into or getting too caught up in all of that negativity is not living. So you just sometimes need to let it go. Mm-hmm. Got it. On that note, you were talking about the importance of your family and your kids. And I read your website and I was wondering, you know, I think this happens a lot when we're staring death in the face in some Mm -hmm. ways, but it Mm -hmm. sounds like you and God, well, you were bargaining with God. And so, and that's kind of a, and that's kind Mm -hmm. of a, it's kind Mm -hmm. of a reminder for you today. So tell me about your Mm -hmm. promise to God. Well, no, I didn't really bargain and I never really had time to say, oh, why me or anything like that. But 
I mean, from the beginning that I was told, go home and get your affairs in order. I'm like, nobody is raising my kids but me. And that was that. That was like one of the first things that entered my mind. And that was it. And so I made a promise to God. I can raise my children. I will help women. I want women to be standing side by side with me. I want to help them through their cancer journey so they don't have the stress. They might not have the strength that I have. So I want to alleviate those insurance stresses and alleviate some of the other stressors. So that's the kind of cancer course that I teach so that I can give them the tools so that they can put all that away and just concentrate on getting well. And, you know, I got to raise those kids and it was the best gift I have ever been given. And my youngest started college last fall. So she's finishing her freshman year. And so I knew that, you know, it was their time to fly. And as they were going to fly, I was going to keep my promise to God, which is what I'm doing now with the book with speaking, with trying so hard with my foundation. But it's, you know, I'm one woman and I need all the help I can get. I really do. I need people to help me with the foundation. I need people to buy my book so that I can get better speaking, so I can speak to larger groups. I need people to hire me to speak so that I can get my message out there. I'm trying so hard, you know, and I'll just keep trying every day. Yeah, you're mission driven. I am. Yeah. Okay. So we'll finish out this list and we'll see if there's anything else that needs to be added. Vital to your <laughs> success, a support system, right? Someone in the waiting room, persistence, mm-hmm. overcoming yes. insurance, denying you five times with, with creativity, overcoming challenges, with creativity, joy, and laughter. Is there anything else that you would add to your list of yeah. vital? Follow your gut. Hmm. Follow your gut. Tap into it. Follow your gut. There is going to be people that mean well. And I call that white noise. Hmm. And you have to stick to your gut and forge your path. It is so important because it is so easy to be kind to somebody. And as women, that's what we do. We're kind. We don't want to hurt people's feelings. So we'll say, okay, I'll try this. No, no, you can't do that. It's life or death. You have to follow your gut. You can't listen to anything that doesn't feel right to you. Mm-hmm. I love it. Vicki, we could talk about this longer, but you have some mm-hmm. options for that. Where can people find you online? Well, I have a website called IamTheOne.com. Really easy to find. You can buy my book there. I also have a crazy little exercise video that just lifts up spirits and so forth. I offer that. And I offer a course that you can purchase on my site called There's More to Cancer Than the Diagnosis. And of course, my foundation, Lunch for Healthcare, I'm willing to take any help. I've got a board of directors in place. I do have a button on there if you want to pay to you know, help me pursue some of the goals that we're trying to do with Lunch for Healthcare. That would be helpful too. What is Lunch for so, Healthcare? I mean, I read about it, but just give us the 30-second version if you want. Well, I break it into two parts so that it expands. The two parts are having women follow their own instincts when it comes to their healthcare and having doctors listen first, diagnose second. 
by expanding those two things, just those two, we can save so many dollars in preventative medicine. It is Lunge for Healthcare's goal to take that to Congress and to the insurance companies and say, okay, we've saved you millions of dollars. Now give us back our mammograms, give us back our pap smears. It's not costing you anything. So that is the goal of Lunch for Healthcare. Well, Vicki from IamTheOne.com, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Sharing and reviewing this podcast is the best way to help us succeed with our mission to help integrate the best of East and West and empower you to raise the bar on your health story. Just go to reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. That's reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. And you'll be taken directly to a page where you can insert your review and hit post.